Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is August 27th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hey, Neil. Hey, Sarah. Good to be here. And senior sports writer Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. How are you? Hey. It's a weird time in sports in the country, but I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this emergency podcast. We don't do these very often. In fact, I'm not sure we have done one. Yeah, certainly not in this incarnation. Yeah. Well, we we wanted to talk about the wild past 24 hours in the sports world and what it what it sort of means more broadly. On Wednesday afternoon, the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to take the court for their NBA playoff game against the Orlando Magic. That was followed by the cancellation of the other two games on the NBA's slate plus all WNBA games scheduled for last night, three MLB games, and five MLS matches. NBA players convened for a meeting late Wednesday where two teams, the Lakers and Clippers, voted to stop the season. Players met again Thursday morning and decided to continue the playoffs. Games are expected to resume this weekend, though no time has been set as of this recording. Athletes this summer have taken on prominent roles in protests over police violence, but protests hadn't yet stopped any games. Did Wednesday's strike surprise you, Chris? Yeah, a a little bit. Um, I mean, we had seen some reports about the fact that the the Celtics and the Raptors were considering maybe not playing their game today uh, for Thursday. And understandably that, you know, the Raptors have a a team president. They they won the finals last year, literally the night they won the finals. Their team president was was essentially harassed and and shoved by a police officer in the arena that was serving as security. Um, so they've kind of spoken out on this before, and you know I think that because that just kind of came out in the news in the last week or so, I think this was heavier on their minds. And so there was talk of it, but I, I think it it was a little surprising, but it shouldn't have been when you consider that the Bucks have had plenty of experiences with this stuff too. They've had a couple of their players that have dealt with some of these issues, including Sterling Brown, who's still on their roster, who, you know, just a year and a half ago or so was arrested and was tased and, you know, is in the middle of suing the Milwaukee Police Department. So based on that, based on the fact that this latest incident happened, you know, not that far from Milwaukee, it shouldn't have been surprising. But the fact that the Bucks had a game and had the first game that was going to be played kind of in the wake of a lot of this stuff, it should have been something that we saw coming and might have been considering. Um, and so it's it's surprising that they decided to sit out, but it, it shouldn't have been as surprising as it was to us. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. I, I wasn't really since the players have since the NBA restarted, it's sort of, you know, they've had the Black Lives Matter on the court and they've had the different slogans on the jerseys and they've had this like league approved protest mechanism and I think for it's not like I thought oh that's enough like that that's not really what I thought but it was sort of like well that's the like method for it so that makes sense and I thought what was so interesting about yesterday was players saying yeah no no we we're we have to do more than than that um because of how much this has affected us um and I think it's I think it's just easy to to think of the NBA as to think of sports in general as it's entertainment for us and it's we like forget about what's really happening in the in the hearts and minds of the players behind it. Well, and there was a lot of debate going into the bubble even, you know, we remember that Kyrie Irving phone call 
um, where he talked to the players and sort of there was open debate over whether it made sense to resume the season, whether that would take away the from the focus of bigger, more important matters uh, by having, you know, games. And, and they even I think it was Kyrie that warned them, like, as soon as games start, people are just going to care about the score and who scored how many points and so on and so forth. And they, that, you know, yes, they'll give the, the airspace to, you know, having black lives matter in the court and the, and the slogans on the shirts and the jerseys and stuff, but somehow it just will be kind of business as usual. And I think that was a sense of, I mean, a lot of the players already were feeling kind of trapped in the bubble, struggling with morale, you know, feeling like they couldn't leave and that they were almost like prisoners inside of the bubble. And then this happens outside of the bubble. Uh, uh, and it, it, like you said, Chris, it really shouldn't have been very surprising that there was this outpouring of grief and, and emotion that ultimately led to doing something that was above and beyond what just the league prescribed, as you said, it's Sarah, protest method was. Yeah. And, and really, when you think about it, too, you know, Neil brought up the fact that players were starting to kind of voice concerns and complaints about this. George Hill's been pretty outspoken, all of that stuff he plays for the Bucks, And really... That part of it, I think, is is what's interesting here is the idea that <laughs> I remember being asked on a radio interview when the George Floyd stuff happened, like, do you think that now that we've talked about this and the protests are happening and that it even seems like they're marketing slogans that kind of build in the Black Lives Matter thing, ha- have we done enough? Or are we past this? And like, I didn't mean to laugh at his question, but I did because I'm a black man and, you know, I'm cynical by nature that the idea that the whole world cares about this for right now. And, you know, how much of the pandemic was contributing to that, the fact that you had to be looking at this and had to see this. And quite frankly, I mean, no, it's not going to stop a systemic problem from being systemic necessarily. I think we're at the very beginning of that question. And, you know, it was almost like the radio host was asking me, like, are we now not going to see any more unarmed people killed? And that was why I laughed at his question. And, and so, I mean, we, we were probably naive to ever think that for people that did think that. And these happen pretty frequently. And so the idea that it would happen while the players are in a bubble for a couple months at a time, it was bound to happen. And the players, quite frankly, aside from playing their games, they don't have anything to do but to watch TV and the, to kind of be in tune with the media and social media. So the idea that this is weighing more heavily on them when they're in an environment where they can't do anything but this makes total sense. Well, it's sort of the escalation of protesting of the way that athletes have found their voices over the years. I mean, we've obviously been talking for a while about um, about protests in sports, but those seemed to me anyway to be more individual actions, like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. This collective action seemed new to me. Neil, are there other examples, you know, in sports history of that kind of collective action? Yeah, there are a few. We went back and as part of the story that Chris and I wrote uh, this morning, we looked at some historical events. So in 1961, there was an exhibition game between the Celtics and the Hawks in Lexington, Kentucky, in which Bill Russell and some other Celtics players were denied service at their hotel. And so they didn't play the game, but some of their teammates did. So it was not really a full show of solidarity. Uh, in 1965, the American Football League All-Star Game was moved from Houston, uh, from New Orleans to Houston after black players faced, you know, a lot of ridiculous racism in New Orleans. They they sort of boycotted until the game was moved. And, and in 1964, uh, there was a strike by the NBA All-Stars right before taking the court for the 
all-star game itself, it was about treatment of players and their salaries and, and working conditions. It was kind of a labor dispute, uh, not necessarily about racial justice. And Chris, you, you did a deep dive into the 1968 uh, opening day of baseball season, right, as it pertained to Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's probably the one that's most closely tied to what we're looking at now. In 1968, the difference of what we're talking about here is that this was Martin Luther King Jr., who'd been assassinated uh, a few days before, and the start of the baseball season coming up. And in hindsight now, kind of crazy to read it, you know, probably a, a function of how old we are, but or how young we are. But the idea that they, <laughs> there was basically debate about whether they should put off the start of the baseball season to recognize his funeral. And for some people, it wasn't really a hard decision. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who Roberto Clemente, you know, obviously big on activism. And that was a team that had an abundance of uh, players of color, but also a lot of white players. And they voted unanimously to not play not only their exhibition games, but the start of the season and opening day as well, which was the day that King's funeral was going to be held. Um, but not every team felt that way, and it, it kind of was a slow burn to get the other teams to agree to not play on opening day. The Dodgers, who played on the West Coast, um, they had their opening day game against the Phillies, and basically their owner and their general manager were not going to, to hold off on their game or not going to postpone their game. They figured that they could play because their game was going to be an hour or so after his funeral had ended. And they figured, well, you know, because we won't be impacted time-wise by it, we should just play. And it took the Phillies backing out of the game for the Dodgers to basically capitulate to what they – I mean, at that point, you weren't going to be able to play against the Phillies because the Phillies were walking up the field. So, so I mean, yeah, that was the last time we really saw anything that was comparable, something that was tied specifically to the death or the killing of a black man. And I think that makes it somewhat equivalent, but also tells you about how scary stuff was back then that, you know, for – literally one of the most important figures in American history, world history, that they still weren't going to call the games off. It's also pretty telling that, you know, we're protesting the same thing all these years later. I also think the baseball parallel is really interesting because, you know, when uh, in our story, we, we looked at why it wasn't necessarily too surprising that the NBA was sort of the the start, the the spark of these protests, because basketball is really the most liberal of all of the four major sports leagues, at least in terms of the players, the fan base, maybe not in terms of the owners um, and, and who they donate to. And that's a little bit of the, the problem and also what the players are trying to kind of change. But just in terms of pure fandom, we know that basketball is a very left-leaning sport. And so the fans are going to be supportive. But I find it interesting that baseball team, you know, three baseball games were uh, postponed last night. And there's been some reporting from Jeff Passan of ESPN uh, today that uh, some more teams are thinking about maybe sitting out games um, tonight. Maybe that'll change by the time we'll have confirmation by the time this publishes. But I find that sort of a very striking comparison also because baseball, you know, we did a poll uh, back in May about, you know, the breakdown of fandoms for each league and 56% of baseball fans are Republican uh, among those that reported a party identification. Uh, so to me, that's very different than basketball where it's like 60% uh, Democrat and you have this very well-known reputation for being a progressive league to, to sort of see it emerge in other sports that are not 
at all as, you know, they're viewed as much more conservative. I think that's kind of telling about the differences this time, too. While I'd like to think that people now, a lot of people at least realize that the notion of shut up and dribble is disrespectful. The idea that some people would still feel entitled enough to say, play this game that I want to watch when, at least in the NBA, it's very clear that it's like it's tugging at these guys. It's hurting them. It's something that they're watching in their own community. This is stuff that they themselves have protested over in the last couple months even. Um, and to see something – I mean, we're, we're talking about a man that was shot in the back seven times. Uh, and, and, you know, regardless of the – you know, what criminal history the man might have had, regardless – even if, you know, there's a conversation about whether there was a knife in his car – uh, that he was going to get or whatever. I mean, he he did not possess, to my knowledge, a, a weapon on his body uh, to shoot him seven times. I mean, uh, there, there are just so many conversations to be had about how disrespectful it is, the idea that people are going to really claim that they're somehow, it's more important for them to watch a game than for people to talk about the idea of basic human rights and human decency. I mean, it's, it's a, a miracle that the guy wasn't killed. Yeah. And the hum- this is <laughs> that we would deny people's humanity, both the humanity of Jacob Blake and the humanity of the players dealing with watching someone who looks like them be shot in the back. We cannot forget that. We can't act like these players are just people on a court entertaining us. They are people um, with like with reactions to the news, just like all of us have reactions to the news. It's 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 amazing to me that how easy it is for so many people to forget that. Yeah, people think that a paycheck by itself. I mean, I, I've heard that for years. I remember writing a story about a player getting sick uh, who got who got sick a couple times over the course of a couple years during the playoffs, and I, I had fans literally commenting in my story, he should basically quarantine away from his family come playoff time because he keeps getting sick. <laughs> and this was a couple of years ago. Now it's crazy to think that the players actually are basically quarantined <laughs> away from their family, but they're like, he makes 15 million a year. Uh, he needs to put the team ahead of everything else. And it's like, that's not how the world works. But I do think that there's an entitlement that people feel and, you know, a, a freedom that people feel that the more you're paid, the less you get to actually complain about societal structure. The the one thing that, that I can't quite figure out um, that keeps coming up is whether playing in the bubble was better or worse for the social justice stances that many of the players, you know, want to take, feel compelled to take this summer. It's sort of the, the question that Neil asked in this morning's story, is playing a distraction from the issues, but worth it because of the visibility that comes from being on TV every night? Or would it have been better for them to skip that, skip the bubble, skip playing the rest of the season, stay focused on the larger issues, but maybe without the platform? This was almost the most visible way they could do it because they did sort of come back, play games, generate that interest in the the resumption of the season. And then now to kind of pump the brakes on things and make people reflect is a more powerful, especially the way they did it, where it's like the game's about to start and then they just sort of went back to the locker room and then sort of walked off, um, that it really got people's attention in a way that, uh, you know, we, we've seen some polling on how there was a lot of 
support among white Americans in particular for like increased support for Black Lives Matter in the immediate wake of George Floyd being killed, but that it had started to kind of recede. And I don't know if it was just time and, you know, fatigue with the pandemic maybe kicking up again, you know, the natural ebb of of news cycles in this country. But for whatever reason, you were starting to see that that intensity of, of support that we saw at first wane and kind of go back to the way it was right for uh, George Floyd's death. And so I think that this was a moment when also the players, maybe they didn't know those polling numbers. And certainly it's not about, you know, grabbing white people's attention, but it certainly is about grabbing the attention of the media and, and, and publicizing these cases when unfortunately they come up. And so this was, I think, in combination with the players just feeling like, powerless in the bubble. This was an opportunity to rekindle the spirit of what they were protesting about before they went into the bubble and before things went back to business as usual. Yeah, I I think they need the space to kind of figure out what's best for them. I, I was a little bit surprised to see the reports this morning that basically that they're all in agreement. And now, you know, as we're on the podcast, they've said that they're going to resume either tomorrow or Saturday, likely at this point, the playoffs. I, I, I feel like there was more of an opportunity here to kind of basically say what we, we want to play. We obviously want to play. We're hurting and we, we were not going to play until we can get some real movement from, you know, whether it's owners and, and they're, you know, there are going to be people that ask like, and there were reports. I saw Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated kind of, laying out, it seemed like he was probably quoting an anonymous owner saying, what do the players realistically expect or want us to do? And I mean, there are entire conversations to be had about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had people tweeting at me yesterday asking, why are you framing this as far as, you know, what the Bucks have done or what, how involved the Bucks are? It's not the Bucks, it's the Bucks players. You know, the Bucks players have done a lot. The Bucks players have said a lot. They've been through a lot. But, you know, the team has had multiple law enforcement nights where they're honoring law enforcement on the court. They're doing this, they're doing that. You know, there are a ton of owners in the league that are pretty diehard supporters of Donald Trump that donate a lot of money. Look at the Knicks. They basically are one of the few teams that weren't making a statement when the George Floyd stuff happened about just the idea of police brutality because James Dolan is is a pretty well-known diehard Trump supporter. So, I, you know, there are a lot of things that they can do. Their owners can agree to open their arenas up to be used as voting centers. There are all sorts of things. So, I mean, I I felt like there was an opportunity there for the players to basically wait and see. They were on the phone. The Bucks were on the phone with the attorney general of Wisconsin yesterday. And so there's a lot of things that could be done. The question now is whether those things can kind of be done and basically the players can play and have those things be done in the background or whether there's not enough pressure, pressure being applied now that you know that they're back on the court. I just kind of feel like there was an ability to potentially hold that over the league's head and over the owner's heads. And, and I'm not completely sure that that's there in the same capacity or if you could just kind of trust these entities to do something when they know that you're going to be back out there playing. And it's not something that you're, you're not holding out people's ability to be able to watch you play. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but it's really not my decision to be made. I think as a black man, I'm certainly interested in it, but it, it's still not even my place that I'm not in that position where I'm away from my family or anything. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think um, I think we're all interested to see what the next step will be for the NBA players um, and the owners to see what they do in response to all of this and whether this, you know, pause in action is 
just a pause and we go back to games or if there's, you know, real change that can come about from all of this. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this um, for this discussion. I think it's an important discussion to have. I'm sure there'll be more to talk about it in the coming days. That will do it for this emergency edition of Hot Takedown. Unless there's any more news, we'll be back in your feed at the normal time next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It helps new people discover the show. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Chris, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.